to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. And today, joining me on the show, I have one of the most interesting and unique artists in the Milwaukee music scene with oh, me really? here. Yes! When, when are they arriving? Uh, <laughs> we should be getting here any minute now. <laughs> uh, he's a one-man band performance artist. His uh, album, This Is Orange Drink, just came out in November. Um, he uh, is known for his elaborate uh, show crowd interaction. And uh, I'm here to talk to him a little bit about his artistry, his passions, and why he does what he does. Mr. Orange Drink, welcome to the show. Hi, good Hello. to be here. Good to see you, man. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. It's a huge honor to be on the Mr. Nice Guy show. Thank you, Drew. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, just quick shout out to you for like documenting the Milwaukee music scene. Like your undertaking is quite impressive. How Thank many you. interviews and stuff. And then now you're doing the show series, which is yeah. awesome. So which you were a part of not too was long ago. Was I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, that was a great show. That was yeah, that was my first time like doing because I mean technically my first Mr. Nice Guy presents was my birthday in January, mm -hmm. but this was like the first one where it's like. There was no celebration of anything. It was just a show. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, like, I was nervous about how it was going to go, but it was amazing. And uh, you definitely got some new fans after that night. I Yeah. That, I, I thought it was a great show because no band, no two bands had remotely anything in common. Yeah. And also, what thing that united us all is that we all had this like experimental kind of bent. Yeah. So I feel like everybody's fans were just really open to wide varieties mm -hmm. of music, which made them really appreciate all the other bands too. So yeah. good job totally. on you for like picking that like kind of really crazy, but totally makes sense. Like mix yeah. of bands. Thank you, man. That's yeah. exactly what I was going for. Yeah. I was like, cause yeah, like, I mean, yeah, like, it has to make sense, but also, like, I just don't, I get kind of tired of, like, going to shows where everything is, like, the exact same, you know, right. where it's, like, right. the, the scene bills, yeah. of, if yeah. you will, and, I mean, and, I mean, you, like, you just do your own thing anyway, so it's, like, you can fit in, like, on so many different kinds of bills. Uh, the first time I saw you was with Peshtigo right. at Puddler's Hall. Yeah. Shout out to Peshtigo. Shout out to them, for sure. What a fantastic band. Um, yeah, and that was at Puddler's Hall. It was my first time there. And uh, Puddler's Hall is just kind of like, you know, a neighborhood bar slash club. Right. But Company Brewing is, like, known for, like, it's, like, live music. You yeah. know, it's, like, a 200-capacity venue and so I was just excited to see how your show was gonna like on such on a bigger stage with like the right. big sound like I was excited for how it was gonna plan out that's awesome yeah that was that was a great show I, that was my first time at company brewing as well oh sure which nice. I really appreciated as well. oh, awesome yeah. man well I'm glad you I'm glad you had fun and yeah. might I say we do have some more <laughs> just for the, we had to I got some orange drink here for um, the kids for the kids I'm still a kid mmm I still feel like a kid, at least. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Drew, what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, first time I saw you was um, at uh, Puddler's Hall. That was January 3rd. Wow. Two days after New Year's. Yeah. So, a couple months ago. And, um, yeah, I was excited. It was really awesome to hear your story, because uh, I know you're not originally from here, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Remind me where you're originally from? I was born and raised in Virginia, in the Virginia Beach, Norfolk area. Oh, I see. Yep. Nice. Um, 
Yeah, so I guess we'll, uh, to start, I guess, like, I like to, I know you've been, you know, you kind of, like, experimented with music, like, a lot growing up as a kid, so I guess, like, tell me about that. Tell me about, like, your earliest origins with, like, finding music as a creative outlet. Um, I, I think I was just lucky enough to grow up in a household that had a piano, mm. and from what my mom and dad tell me, like, as soon as my hand was tall enough to reach the piano, I would just constantly be banging on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just really loved like hearing sound as like a little kid, just like making sounds yeah. and hearing them. Uh, then I remember um, we got some uh, like handheld tape recorders that I had this like Fisher-Price boombox that actually belonged to my older brother and sister. Mm. Then I absconded with it and then I would just start pressing record and like flushing the toilet and then going back and listening to it and like recording the TV going back and listening to it. Oh, yeah. uh, I've got like interviews with my parents when I was like a little kid just doing uh, on the cassette tape. Oh, I funny. recorded over the stuff that my brother and sister did mm -hmm. on the tape. To, so just always remember being obsessed with sound and recording different things and then yeah. going back and listening like, whoa, what would happen if I put um, the you know, boombox here, and then I clapped over here, right. what would it sound like? The miracle of playback. Yeah, yeah. it's just, uh, and I think that's where really kind of experimental comes from, just really trying to do things to see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, my older brother took some guitar lessons that um, he discontinued, and then uh, my parents had bought him an electric guitar and acoustic guitar, and when he discontinued his lessons, they, the guitarist just kind of lived in the attic, and I don't really remember how it happened, but one day I was just messing around in the attic and I'm like, oh, what are these guitars doing mm -hmm. here? And since he wasn't using them, I was thinking, oh, I'll take them to my room and I'll like figure this out. Um, so then I kind of started playing guitar, trying to teach myself. Um, now around this time, uh, uh, probably around like 10 or 12, um, mm -hmm. my school started getting um, computer labs. Oh, yeah. And then, like, you know, home internet started becoming a thing. Um, so I went online and found all these websites where you could download tabs and, like, chords and stuff. So I looked up, like, every Beck song I could think of, every yes. Smash and Pumpkin song, every Beatles song. Oh, hell yeah. And awesome. then I pretty much tried to teach myself how to play guitar playing every Beck Smash and Pumpkin. Smashing Pumpkins and Beatles songs mm -hmm. that I could find online. Uh, then, like the one of the most pivotal things was when I turned 13. My mom got me a drum set for my birthday. Mm -hmm. So then, once I got that, uh, and I had to prove that a drum set wouldn't be wasted on me. So years before, I had it was like a cardboard box with duct tape, then a straw bat as the hi hat, oh, and yeah. then pillows as the kick drum. So you'd have the pillow kick drum, the box with duct tape snare drum, and then the straw mat hi-hat. Oh my god, wow. So my friend would come over, he would play one of the guitars, and then I would do like drums. Oh, I, <laughs> So that, that was like the... That's funny. It was like the um, proof of concept. Like, if you buy me a drum set, I can actually, like, we can actually do stuff so it won't be a waste of money. Um, drumming with pillows here, you know? Yeah. Straw bat, right? And, uh... I have to give like all the credit to my parents because what parents can tolerate buying their kid a drum set it's so loud and when you're learning how to play drums it sounds yeah. pretty awful. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I was really lucky that they were uh, on board with that. Um, my parents were, have always been music lovers. They had 
you know, Beatles CDs and records mm -hmm. and stuff. So that's how I got interested in that as a kid. Uh, so once I had the drum set, I kind of realized like, oh, now I can write the rhythm and write the melody and write um, lyrics. So that's kind of where the one man band idea started. And then I want to say around 15 years old, uh, I was in a band and my friend, his, <laughs> his neighbor had a four track cassette recorder where you can record uh, uh, side A, left channel, right channel, side B, left channel, right channel. And then you can um, have them all at the same time. Mm -hmm. I don't know why he did this, but he borrowed his neighbor's four track and then he let me borrow it, which is mm. like not the best thing to do, particularly yeah. when it's like you're giving it to a 15 year old, but whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then that's when it hit me. I can actually do all the parts by myself. Oh, it does. So yeah. I would record the drums, I would record guitar, I would record a bass line and then I would record vocals. And that, that was the beginning of what is now Orange Drink. Um, weird thing that happened that ended up changing my life is that uh, I had all the musical equipment crammed in my bedroom so all this stuff is on the floor there's all these cables going in everywhere there's like the bed there's the drum set there's a uh, all these like stereo systems because I didn't really have amplifiers yeah and uh, guitars and it was just crazy and I'm trying to record stuff and I'm hopping over all the cables and actually accidentally knock over the four track and I break the cassette lid Oh, fuck. That's not even mine. It's my friend's neighbor's. Fuck, dude. And then my buddy comes over and he's like, hey, can I get that four track back? Because, you know, so-and-so is going back to college <laughs> yeah. Tuesday. It's like, uh. So uh, I made up this story to my mom. Uh, can we get this repaired and then buy another four track? Yeah. And then this is this is retail fraud. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I proposed retail fraud to my mom that we're gonna get the four track cassette lid repaired. We're gonna buy a new one. We're gonna give the new one back to the neighbor, and then when the new one gets repaired, we're gonna return it. Oh my god! <laughs> Scheming. Look, look, I was desperate. Okay? You schemer. I was desperate. <laughs> yeah. But we didn't commit retail fraud. That's good. We gave the new four-track to the neighbor. He yeah. went off to college. The old four-track got fixed and we got it. And then I kind of like forgot to bring up the idea to my mom, like, shouldn't we return this? And then I kept it and then I didn't bring it up and she let me keep it. Well, that's good. <laughs> does, does the neighbor, did the neighbor ever find out that you broke it? No. <laughs> Until now. Uh, right here, right today. Secrets revealed on Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah. Cheers. Uh, I love when it happens. But to my, to my credit and to my mom's credit, we didn't commit retail fraud despite planning on, me oh, planning yeah. on it. Yeah. That's okay. Um, so then I had the four track and then it was pretty much like over because... I had some difficulty as a young person getting some of my friends interested or on board with what the type of music that I wanted to do. Uh, as a 13 year old with a drum set, I was the only kid in my grade who had the drum set, so yeah. I was immediately in three bands. Right. Because everybody had guitars, but no one had a drummer. Because drums are so hard, drummers are in such like high demand but low supply. And. What parent wants your 13 year old making such a loud racket? And also, they're m much more expensive than like a you know a cheap guitar. Mm -hmm. um, it's not portable. You have to have a room 
And uh, so yeah, uh, I was very lucky to have that drum set. I was in high demand to be in these multiple bands, but then this idea of like, oh, well, what if we start my band and we do these songs that I wrote um, for whatever reason, uh, mm -hmm. less people were like interested in that yeah. idea. So then the four track meant I can do this like on my totally. own. Totally, awesome, yeah. really cool. Um, yeah. Very nice. Well, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you have to break a couple really expensive things to realize like, damn, this is no, this is some serious shit, you know? That's, that's basically how my life has gone. Yeah. Just like all these complete disasters, like, wow, I'm like really in this now. Oh yeah, dude. Oh, I believe. I'm invested. Yeah, dude, ex yeah, no, honestly, I, um, when I was 18, I lost my friend's camera in a different country and, uh, Still, like, I mean, it just disappeared, but I had to buy him a new one. It was like $400. And, uh, I mean, he, like, I, I panicked. It was the last day of my trip, too. So, oh like, my I, gosh. I panicked. But, I mean, I I didn't even, I couldn't even think about all the, the pictures that I, oh my did, that I, like, yeah. didn't retain from the trip. I just thought about... Fuck, this was not mine, yeah. and I lost it, and I don't know how the fuck I'm gonna pay for this. So, I remember I was a caddy at the time, so like, I mean, I just like, I caddied and made the money back, like, sooner than, like, you know, I would have otherwise, but like, it still was horrible. But that was like when, you know, I realized, like, yeah, next time I have, like, a really expensive, nice piece of equipment that isn't mine, yeah. I need to, like, actually, like, <laughs> shield it with everything I got. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Oh, you learn that as a teenager. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I I'm still learning that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> All this, like, stuff is, like, breaking and going wrong. And, uh, I, my camera, I had a really expensive, nice camera that I put on a thrift store tripod. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I'll save some money. Yeah. I'll get a thrift store tripod because I blew all the money on the camera. And then, oh my gosh, the camera fell off of the tripod. <laughs> Imagine that, you know, $8 doesn't buy what it used yeah. to. Like, that, man, I should have thought more about, you know, if you have a $1,000 camera, maybe spend $100 on the tripod mm -hmm. to make sure it doesn't fall to the ground. Yeah, right. Maybe. <laughs> um, Let's see, when was it? Uh, oh yeah, for the uh, album release party in uh, November, yeah. I bought uh, drum bags for the first time. And, I should, and <laughs> because previously I've been, I've had so much anxiety about plant taking drums to a show and having them get messed up and then having yeah. to cram them in a car and you know, they're gonna get scratched or whatever. Right. And then I bought the drum bags and I mean, this is stupid to say, I'm like, oh, if you have the bags, like you don't have to worry about it breaking. Cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> like one would one would think that's what yeah. they're there for. I uh, I still have that like punk rock, like nobody cares, like kid background. But then I also have the adult, like I'm trying to do this for real, and I don't want to buy another drum set. Mm. So I'm, I'm I'm having to like reconcile the two yeah. mindsets. So yeah, uh, hopefully on stage I'll just go into like the punk rock nobody cares everything's right. gonna break then after the show I'm like oh let me just like yeah. carefully yeah. <laughs> like just carefully like you know dissect and you know disassemble everything and just like repair it yeah right during the show I'll just like throw it to the ground but then after the show just like put this right down. right yeah. yeah oh yeah that's funny because that show um the show at company a couple weeks ago I remember like 
me and Alan were setting up the banner uh, up on the wall, mm-hmm. and like I had set my beer down like right by my foot, and I was like, "Oh, ha- I, I witnessed that." Yeah, you saw it. You, you were yeah, and I like I was like having trouble like getting the banner to like you know like stick to the to the to the wall and. I was struggling, and then I stumbled, and then I fucking kicked my beer right over. And luckily, it, like it, it like just missed the power strip. Yeah. But yeah, that was another like, holy fuck! Oh man, <laughs> like, it's the rock and roll lifestyle. Damn right, absolutely. You heard it here <laughs> yes, you did. Absolutely, <laughs> kicking over beers, knocking over. You know, drums and cameras I mean, and everything. we make it look easy, but it actually is a lot of work right. to look that um, disheveled on stage. Yeah, right. You know, take otherwise uh, take otherwise accident prone individuals attempting to be professional. That like, sounds great. Yeah, that's that's my life in a nutshell for sure. So, when did you adopt the orange drink uh, uh, moniker? I think around age ten to like. 14. Basically when you started. Just basically when I started. Yeah. Um, and looking back, I don't think I had a ton of thought into it. Uh, just this idea like, oh, what's like a cool thing that would be weird and neat? Like just whatever a 10 year old or a 13 year old will come up with, right? Um, and then it was like, oh, orange drink. And uh, I thought it was unique because, you know, orange doesn't have like a as we as we talked about before, like orange doesn't have a, a exact rhyme, so it's kind of a unique word. Uh, and then this idea of orange drink being a almost like a generic term for right. a drink, um, which now I really enjoy because uh, the more generic the name is, the less I feel beholden to like a style. Yeah. So then I now I think retroactively, oh, this makes perfect sense that I do all these. Um, I do a wide variety of like disparate things, right? And yeah. then the term is just very generic. Yeah, yeah. Here's like some stuff. Totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like, what is it? Like, oh, it's just orange drink. Um, and then I also really enjoy the idea of um, when people think about it that they're also associating both a color and a flavor mm. to describe sound. Yeah. So, yeah. so this idea of kind of um, describing it um, like from a different perspective. Totally. Uh, the other thing, I think we talked about this before, but if I had to pick a band name now, I would just be way too influenced by what I think is cool. So yeah, right. if I had to pick a band name now, I'd be really influenced by other band names and you know, like band name trends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was like a trend. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I can pinpoint the era, but there was definitely a trend where all the band names were like sentence fragments. Yeah. Uh, I think a trend maybe more recently is like removing vowels from a band name is like mm. a thing or whatever. Um, or like one syllable plural words. Yes. That's yes. another trend yes. too yeah. I've seen. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna. Like, Dads, savages, sure. moms. Sure. <laughs> like, you know. Moms, dads. <laughs> Brothers, sisters, sisters cousins, uncles. sons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my band will be grandpas. That's right. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, I think it it worked out that I have this kind of random generic yeah. band name that I thought was interesting when I didn't care about being cool right. or impressing anyone. And actually, when I uh, chose the band name. 
I never anticipated actually ever playing a show or actually releasing an album. Mm -hmm. It was just like my thing. This is a fun bedroom project that you did because, yeah, like you just, it was just fun for you. Yeah, and I was in other bands, so I got to play shows and I got to collaborate with people and, we, and uh, the other bands I was in, we wrote songs, but then Orange Drink was like my thing. And much to how the music has turned out, it was kind of, it's kind of always been my diary. Yeah. So these are like my feelings and my ideas and like what I'm want to talk about or think about, mm -hmm. and then this is just for me. Yeah. Um, and it was only later that uh, I made a friend who uh, I shared some of my work with, and he was adamant that I release uh, release it to share with others. Um, and it was really because of him that like Orange Drink kind of came all the way from getting the guitars, getting the drum set, getting the four track to then like completing the cycle like now it's like out into the world. Which yeah. was really horrifying for me, someone that just thought this was my private little like diary entry. Now you know I'm now I'm publishing my diary entries. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is hardcore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh that's that's so punk. Yeah. Um and it's also like Orange Drink I feel like is a very like um I think we talked about it a little bit as well before about how it is kind of like I mean, you think about you. You hear that phrase, and you do kind of think of like being a kid, and and like you know because it is something that kids want. It's something that kids like enjoy because it's fun. You know, it's like it tastes it's like, good. It's like simple. Yeah, yeah. simple. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think in a way, like especially with your, you know, your blend of artistry, like it is sort of like. It's a reminder of like retaining that childlike wonder, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course, because like I, I think that's important as a, us as adults. Like you know, we, you know, we lose sight of that. You know, we. I mean, it's like yeah, we're adults and we have responsibilities, but we still need to have fun. You know, we still need to like, we still need to be like, you know, nurtured by our friends and people yeah. that love us, and also by what makes us happy. Yeah, and. You know, your music clearly makes you happy. Thank um, you. Yeah, so I think it is like a childlike wonder reminder of sorts. Uh, 100%. I think um, I think that's what attracted me so much to music and art in general. Uh, this idea that there are no boundaries. And mm -hmm. something that I've realized uh, growing up in a society and yeah. culture, uh, to realize how much I am uh, oftentimes just subconsciously influenced by these... Um, kind of rules, regulations, or even like a paradigm of behavior Yeah, that um, is unspoken and no one really picked, but now everyone just like does. Yeah. And, um, yeah. We live in a society. <laughs> we live in a society. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and it's interesting to think about those unwritten rules that you're following that you didn't consent to. Right, yes. So, that's a hard thing to think about, right? Like That unspoken moral code of sorts. So, like, how can I become aware of the thing that right. I'm unaware of? That's a, arguably, like, very, very difficult task. Oh, yeah. Something that I strive for in my music is to do what's the last thing that I would think of doing and now try to do that. So, what do I want to do? I want to make a song that sounds like this. So what would I say is the opposite of that? Well, then I'll do that. You're right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think that using that as like a creative exercise, not just creative. I think it helps me grow as a person. Mm. You know, uh, 
kind of trying to become aware of your own biases. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you know, you, this has nothing to do with art even. You can just talk about oh, yeah. when you interact with people, um, what are like feelings and emotions or, or expectations. Uh, unspoken expectations is like a big thing. Yeah, right. I think that's why a lot of people get into arguments mm -hmm. is because uh, both parties have an uh, unspoken expectation of the other. And then they're like, well, why don't you do this? Because mm -hmm. I'm, and the unspoken thing is like, because I'm expecting you to do right. that. Right. It's, it's like, it's cognitive dissonance. There you basically. go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. where you, your, the outcome is different than your expectation. And you're just kind of like your mind, it's a defense mechanism, you know? It's like your mind gets defensive over like what you hold to be true or right. what you, you, what you, what your mind has so adapted to be the truth and we get uncomfortable or we get like you know uncertain when we're confronted with something that's different right. and uh, th yeah that's exactly why people get in arguments or why people just you know get so emotional over conflict or over anything you know like anything we're passionate about um because we so strongly believe that something should be this way or that people should care about this and it's so hard for us to comprehend or wrap our heads around the fact that other people don't right um and then escalating those things into seemingly life or death situations yeah yes and they're not and maybe arguably a life or death situation isn't even a doesn't have to be taken to that um, degree of intensity yeah Arguably, maybe. Right. Maybe yeah. Not. Yeah. All depending Depends. on the scale. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so what uh, eventually led you to Milwaukee, being here? Uh, I went to college in Richmond, Virginia, mm. and then after graduating college, I just—I mean, this is like cliche. I just wanted to like move to a big city and then like go for it. Yeah. Like that was just literally it. So um, I knew I, <clears throat> excuse me, I knew I wanted to go to a big city. Um, I felt like uh, New York would be such a uh, saturated market. There's just so many mm -hmm. artists there and so many um, musicians. On one side, the plus side is that I could go to New York and I could meet a ton of musicians and artists. Uh, also, New York is like super expensive. Yeah. Uh, then uh, Los Angeles is also like a really huge hub for the entertainment mm -hmm. industry. Uh, one thing that really became uh, painfully aware for me is that uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the public transportation in Los mm -hmm. Angeles or the lack thereof. So <laughs> I thought, like, I can't really afford a car yeah. in, if I move to L.A. And I don't know if I want to be in a band and then like be depending on like, right, yeah. taking the bus and stuff everywhere. Like, I don't know. I, I don't think I could make that work. Um, so then uh, I really love cold weather. I'm apparently wow. one of the like six people in the Midwest that loves it. Uh, actually, like this weather is like a little too warm for me. I'm, oh. I'm still like lamenting. Like I, I wanted like two more. Oh, like, man, that's like knee deep snow. That is odd. Yeah, <laughs> that's me. Uh, so uh, Chicago came up in my mind. Like, oh, it's a big city, uh, cold weather, and I think it'll be really fun. So in 2000. 2004. Mm. 2004, I moved to uh, Chicago, and uh, I was there for nine years. And <laughs> my <laughs> my little tagline is, "I moved to Chicago with nothing but a U-Haul and a dream." <laughs> that's that's real. But yeah, yeah, I just packed it all up, and I'm like, I'm gonna become a musician somehow. 
I mean, right. Like that's exactly what Beck did too. I mean, yeah. yeah. Like he, yeah. except instead of a U-Haul, it was just like his guitar. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And he took a hitched a ride across the country with a, a couple bucks Yeah. on a bus. And yeah, like, but yeah, I mean, that is a artistic, like, uh, it's, it's a huge artistic risk you take because not only is it an artistic, an artistic, like, uh, approach but it's also like your whole life becomes affected yeah and actually i think uh being a musician is a lot like being openly gay yeah uh whether you come out or not it doesn't change how you feel Mm -hmm. now whether you choose to come out your life will change and it will change the amount of opportunities you have it will change may, may change your relationships uh, it will change how society views you, etc. Um, so the option isn't whether you're gay or not. The option is like wh- how you're going to live. Yeah. So I'm a musician. I'm an artist, yeah. and I can't change that. Right. Even if I never picked up a guitar again, the way I hear sound defines like how I view the world, right. which I would say like makes me an artist. Yeah. Because that's how I'm like interpreting and, and, and yeah. um, sure. interacting with the world. Um, so for me being a musician, it's just a matter of, am I going to follow the path or am I going to maybe hide it, repress it, deny it, Mm -hmm. um, or try to, um, compartmentalize it that I'm going to, like, it's just going to be like a hobby or something, which is, you know, no disrespect to anyone who expresses their musicianship in any of those ways. But for me, I just had to say like, I don't know if I'm going to have another chance to like live. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm going to follow the, my path, this probably would be the best time to do it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. (laughs) This is the truth. Uh, I also feel like it's a lot like, uh, a a religion that, um, it's, I have like a set of rituals and, uh, I have like a faith. And I have a set of beliefs, and I have a way that I interact with the world because of those. And my uh, belief system gives me like a set of tools in, in interacting with the world. So, like art is my religion. And then when I play a show, I'm just like preaching. Yeah, yeah, right, right. You know. and, oh, that aligns pretty well with uh, you know your regular, uh, you know your your banter between the songs and everything. I mean, yeah, like I think that as an artist, like, be considering it is, like, your essence, then, uh, yeah, like, you naturally want to share that essence with folks that also derive meaning from the same thing, you know? And it, if it, and, and in a way, like, your shows do kind of become, like, a, um, like, uh, a, a congregation of yeah, sorts, you sure, know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it becomes, like, a religious, uh, like, a ceremony almost. Well, thank you. That's incredibly flattering. I, I do have to say that the shows that you've seen, you know, at, um, at your showcase and at Puddler's Hall, those are the, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Those are the amalgamation oh, yeah. of every show I've ever played nice. where all of those decisions that I made at those last two shows every decision was learned at another show. Yeah, yeah. So the first shows, I mean, it was, you know, it was nothing like this. It was maybe more just play a song, you know, thanks, all right, this next one's called, and then play a song, and 
maybe kind of like hide behind an instrument, maybe not make eye contact. You had no intro outro at this point, like you do now. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, before it was a band, and I was just like playing a show as a band, and now it's turned into like an experimental one man like performance art experience. Like, yeah. Yeah. And and all those things came one little piece at a time. Um, much like me learning who I am today. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going back to coming out, coming out doesn't happen overnight either. Right. You know, you have to have these experiences and thoughts. And uh, for me, it took a lot of self-reflection about like, you know, who am I and why do I feel different than other people? Um, what is it that these people have in common that I don't have? And like, why is it that way? Um, then understanding uh, if there's a risk involved for me to come out, um, what are the pros and cons or like what do I stand to lose what do I stand to gain and then the show uh, Orange Drink is just like a parallel uh, of my entire life oh yeah and it's funny because even just looking at the uh, album titles and the album covers I can see like my like life trajectory mm-hmm. um, uh, for, for this most recent album which is called This Is Orange Drink and it this uh, also has my face on the album cover yeah so this is uh, really like a coming out for me too with this album that I'm going to accept the uh, position that I've been put in and the path that I've been on. Mm. Uh, I never wanted to be the type of performer that I am today. I wanted to be like mysterious, anonymous, cool guy. Oh yeah, right. I wanted to like be, I don't know, I wanted to be Daft Punk and have like the masks and like have a... yeah. Thing. Rarely gives interviews. No one knows who I am. Like, yeah. Music's like so awesome. Another one, uh, DJ Shadow. Oh like, yeah. His name is like actually a lot more now. He's put him his um, like personality into the public spotlight, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, but when his first uh, uh, big album, Introducing, came out, no one knew what he looked like and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he would um, he would do shows like in the shadows and stuff. And I just. You know, just like totally looked up to those yeah, guys because totally. obviously Daft Punk and DJ Shed are like huge. Looking back, like man, I like set the bar pretty high. I'm like, huh, why am I not as good as DJ Shed? Right? And yeah, like, yeah. Dude, you're 13. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Calm yeah. down. Um, so um, I had an album called Minotaur, um, and it was an all electronic music album. And for those shows, I would put a bandana around my face and I'd have sunglasses. And um, at the time, it felt like I wanted to give a mysterious persona uh, in in hopes that that would kind of enhance the mystery of this electronic music, Mm -hmm. uh, where more so than obviously a song that has lyrics, uh, the message behind it is much more open Mm -hmm. to interpretation. And there was this one day that I forgot my bandana and glasses at home, and I was like, oh, I just gotta play the show now. Mm-hmm. And one of my buddies came up to me after the show, and he's like, I loved being able to see your face. Oh, nice. And I was like, huh, maybe I should do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And then one day, uh, one of the songs messed up and I had to like close down my computer and, and start it back up and while it closed down I like picked up the microphone and like talked and someone said oh it's great when you actually stop in between songs so we can like clap and like hear from you mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. like, 
note. Yeah, yeah. Stop in between. Because the previous shows, it'd just be 45 minutes, like, non-stop music. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, people are like, you know, take a break so we can, like, clap. Because, like, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, right, right. Stop in between songs. So, uh, it's just really interesting. Every show I play, I try to set a goal for myself. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll meet that goal, sometimes I won't. Uh, but either way, I'll kind of learn from how did I do on that. And uh, also just, I now so more than ever, I'm getting a lot of really great feedback from people. And people are really telling me specifically the stuff that is very meaningful mm -hmm. for them. And I'm just like, okay, no, like more of that. Because people like freak out yeah. when I do this. So right. I like do that. Um, it's just like a crazy learning experience yeah. for me. And oh, yeah. uh, I still get super nervous before every show because I try to go beyond my comfort zone every show and I kind of think if I'm not nervous then it means that there's nothing that I'm worried about and if there's nothing that I'm worried about that there's means that there's nothing like on the line yeah yeah uh, to use an analogy of like gambling like you right. know if you just put in a ton of money in the middle like you're gonna have some feeling about whether you win or lose but you know if you put in a penny and you're kind of like eh. Right. No big deal. Right, exactly. So I try to put a lot on the table. And mm. now I'm realizing people are really actually, people see that. Oh, totally. And they're like, oh, you actually like put your heart out on yeah. there. You um, are like visibly vulnerable, you know, and you definitely like, <clears throat> and, but that's also how you connect with your crowd is that, you know, that. Um, overtness, you know, of like who you actually are, that like ability for you to like express those parts of yourself that it took you a long time to like acquire that comfortability and embracing, you know, people, yeah, like people definitely value that, you know, and like, um, and that makes, you know, it makes people in the crowd, like makes them feel safe, you know, mm -hmm. it makes them feel included. It makes them feel seen and heard. And, you know, like that's, that's a great quality where it's, it becomes, le it's not, it becomes like a lot less, like not less, I should say, not just about the music, but it becomes about like the culture that you've established in the room, you know, and that's an important part of any show. Thanks. That's incredibly flattering. And oh I, yeah. I really appreciate that. Um, I think now I'm beginning to realize that the reason I'm so passionate about the music and the art is because it comes from these thoughts, ideas, and feelings that I have, and that I feel very strongly about the thoughts, feelings, and ideas. So then I put those into the into the music. So on stage, I'm I'm realizing now that I don't need to just focus on the music and the art because it's all about those original thoughts, feelings, and ideas. Mm -hmm. So there's now there's so many other things that I can do to communicate those thoughts, feelings, and ideas, mm -hmm. which will then kind of go back and enhance the music experience for yeah, people. Yeah. So one of the things, as, as you've seen in the shows, is that a lot of the instrumentation is actually pre-recorded. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just going there like singing, and I'm just like dying on stage. Mm. And what I realized in the past is that I thought, um, as a one-man band, I'm thinking, oh, people are really going to question my like authenticity, like, oh, you know, I mean, does he play guitar? Like, what can he play? Like, he needs to he needs to do something. So I would play these shows where I, you know, had the guitar and I had a 
uh, backing track and then I would go and do an electronic piece and I would um, manipulate every single element. And going back, I just realized like that just gave me a lot of busy work and I really couldn't communicate the thoughts, feelings, and ideas because I was so busy. I was so busy spinning all these plates. Mm-hmm. So I had to like press all these buttons and then get back and play guitar and then the microphone's yeah. here and then do this with one hand. The scrambling and, and everything. Yeah. And I played all of that stuff live for sure, but I didn't feel free to express the thoughts, feelings, and ideas because I was just going back from plate to plate spinning them. So uh, it was really difficult for me actually to make the decision to line up just pre-recorded tracks Mm -hmm. because I thought this is like fake or this is lame or like am I just doing like orange drink karaoke now I'm just like singing Mm -hmm. to a thing and I was really nervous that I would be losing credibility as an actual musician if I just go and do it like am I like song and dance man now yeah right um and then I realized after a couple of shows that when I don't have to hold onto a guitar and hit a guitar pedal with my foot and then hit a sampler button with my right hand and like hold a kazoo in my mouth or yeah. whatever, uh, I can like walk all over the stage and I can look at every single human being in that room and I can like give them something. And then that got way more response from when I made everything from scratch. Um, because I couldn't sell it, but now if I just have the microphone in my or or nothing, yeah, I can like sell my thoughts, ideas, and feelings, which I have in like endless supply. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess the other thing, looking at it, that this from like a business perspective, there's no shortage of musical or artistic talent in the world, let alone Milwaukee. Yeah, valid. Right. <laughs> uh, when I first moved here, I went to some open mics, and my first thought was like, oh my gosh, every like random guitar player is so good. Mm. And all these people who sing as a hobby are so good. Yeah, yeah, right. And I, I came back from that open mic, and I... Uh, went to my husband I'm just like I don't know man everybody is like there's like nothing but killers yeah mm-hmm. and all the people who don't even take it seriously they're still killers oh yeah right it's just it's the matter of like the application yeah and, and maybe they don't want to right exactly. they're, they're cool yeah. to like screw around with their friends yeah but like they're so good at yeah. singing and playing guitar and writing mm-hmm. songs so I was really intimidated at first and my husband who is you know my biggest champion and he just says you know, there are things that you can do that not only are you better at others, like there's things that you can do that no one can do. Yeah. So then I had to think, I need to emphasize at my during my show, I need to do all the things that I'm A, good at, and B, no one can really do. Mm. And something that people can do really well is play guitar on a stage. There's tons of people that are great at it. So what if... I just, re- uh, I just put the guitar on my backing track, mm-hmm. and didn't really worry about having to play guitar as skillfully as like the next guy. But something that I can do is I can like, I don't even know what to call it, but I can like freak out on stage, yeah. 
the dance moves, you know, the robotic moves, or... And, like, I don't see a lot of that, right? Yeah. I see a lot of people that shred guitar, people who have, like, angelic voices. I see some terrific drummers, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't see a lot of, like, full-blown freakouts. Yeah, right. That's so true. I'm like, I'm really good at doing a full-blown freakout, so I'm going to put the drums on the backing track, put the guitar on the backing track, and then I'm going to freak out. Yeah, right. I think the, at the Puddles Falls show, didn't you, like, hit yourself? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, like, <laughs> smacked the shit out of yourself. Yeah. It makes sense on stage. It's very weird to talk about it now, because I really can't explain why that happened. Uh, I mean, but, but like you said, like, that's what people gravitate towards. I don't know anyone else who does that. I don't know. I, I barely understand why I did it myself. Yeah. Actually, I don't, but now it's like one of the goals, like, right. do something that I don't understand and won't understand. Okay. Right. But it still makes sense. Right. Yeah. And, like, and then, like, it's okay. Like, it's, uh, another thing that I've learned uh, over the years is that um, I'm not the best judge of my own work. Mm. So, uh, I'm in the band Orange Drink. I'm not necessarily Orange Drink's best critic. Mm, yeah. So, uh, there are times that I have done things and I haven't felt confident about it. And then I share it with the world and a lot of people have get a lot of positive things out of it. I'm not saying that I should do things and if people like it, that means it's good. Uh, but if it's something that I enjoy doing, I was honest, it was creative, I had fun, uh, I might feel insecure for some other reasons, right? And then when I share that with the world, and people enjoy the fun, the honest, the honesty, the creativity, and they have a positive experience for it. Then it seems like it was a good thing yeah. that I played that show totally. or put on that, released that song or something. So there have been many times that uh, I've released or performed uh, pieces that I didn't feel very confident about, and maybe I didn't like for various reasons. And I thought, well, I'm just going to kind of get out of my own way and then just see what happens with the work. Uh, then, much to my surprise, the work kind of took a life of its own. Oh, yeah. Then it kind of taught me, maybe I'm not the best judge of what should go or shouldn't go. Maybe I should get out of my own way and let Orange Drink be Orange Drink. Yeah. And I'm just this guy that's along for the ride and maybe at some times driving the train. But I'm not necessarily the end-all be-all of like what it is and what it should yeah. be. Yeah, I feel like a lot of musicians definitely get confronted with that too. You know, creatives in general. I mean, I'm not my best critic all the time either. There's times I doubt myself and I doubt the impact of the work I make. You know, all the time. You're you're in it all the time. So like, how could how could you have a unbiased perspective? You you clearly exactly. can't. Right. It's kind of like trying to see what you look like without a mirror. Yeah. Your eyes are always here. Your like knee will typically like only be so close to yeah. you. Yeah. You know. Right. And so, you also yeah you also see you see like. Because you know things about yourself that the rest of the audience doesn't know, or like you, that, or like you know, you know. Oh, it's the unexpressed uh, assumptions. Yeah, that we talked about earlier. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, you know the, um, you know, like the background of, like, you know, for example, like I'll know the background of this episode. Like, oh, like. You know, it turned out okay, but I had to cut out like this part because yeah. like I messed up here. Or like you might think like, oh yeah, like this song, yeah, like yeah, it turned out great and people like it, but like I was having such a hard time like getting this like guitar down or like getting yeah. this mixed properly yeah. or 
like I had to scrap it so many times before like it was what I wanted. Yeah. Like, yeah, and and you know at the end like you might at the like even once it's out you might still be frustrated with yourself For sure. because For it sure. took because like you know like how frustrated you were with this and it may not e- it still may not have even turned out exactly how you yeah. wanted to yeah. but people will like it people will still people don't know that and and that's sort of like i feel like that's partially why we're so hard on ourselves because like you know we have that like you know we know what went into this and like everything that went wrong versus like what all went right the the problem is that when i write a song i know what it could have been yeah so if there's like a hundred versions and only one of them was released i'm comparing the finished product to 99 other like what could have been for the rest of the audience they are experiencing a piece that for them it could have not existed or existed right yeah so then for them they're like oh this is a, I'm glad I heard this song because I like it. Yeah, they could only be reasons. It, yeah, they could only have a fragment of what you had. And there's, liked. I think there's a very, you know, there's there are people that say, look, oh, I would have liked it better if like this was changed or that, but they don't necessarily have the option, right? Uh, when you go to a show, you don't have the option to be like, hey, can you like redo that bass thing and then can you guys pick up the tempo? Like, yeah, that'd be great. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. You don't have that option, and ma- basically your option is to like enjoy it or walk away do something else mm-hmm. um, and those are only two options not a uh, hundred yeah right so exa- so on on this note as we started like kind of segueing into your album that just came out this is orange drink so this is I think that I mean like it is like exceptionally well produced you know like Thank you, you yeah like you like because I was listening to like some of like your older stuff and like yeah like Cause like on the Widowmaker, like it sounded like you were kind of like maybe a bit more lo-fi, mm-hmm. and like now like it's very like like the recordings are very crisp here, and there's nothing wrong with lo-fi recordings at all. I mean, there's an entire music movement beyond lo-fi music, but but like you know, this is orange. I, I know you talked about this for breaking and entering, but like this was like it, it was almost like a compilation of like a lot of stuff. From very di- from like different, you know, sounds or styles that like you wanted to like that you wanted to do all of, but you like picked a couple different things from each of them and put it all into an album that's over fifty minutes, and uh, it's like um, it is sort of like that the big picture of you, mm-hmm. yeah, of yeah. of what Orange Drink is, right, right, yeah, which you know is. Um, you know, it's a it's a great album. Thank uh, you. Yeah, I was actually talking. I was on Not Exactly Radio recently. And Love we were, those guys. Yeah, shout out to Benny and uh, Tony, and uh, yeah, like they're yeah we were talking about like yeah, dude, orange drink is something else. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and like thematically, it's like I can anyone who listens to this record can hear you letting go of all these things that like used to hold you back. Thank you. you. Thanks. Wow. Uh, Unbelievably flattering. I really appreciate it. Of course. Um, Yeah, as you heard, like, you know, The Widowmaker was like, it's like a noise punk album. Yeah, right. And like, that was the idea behind it. And it has these, um, 
soundscape segues, so the whole album is supposed to feel like a continuous thing. Um, I really love punk rock music. Uh, I typically don't like punk rock albums because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like I just feel like there hasn't been you know when I at the time when I made it I was thinking like oh I really want like a punk rock concept album mm-hmm. that like flows together and has like this you know these different sonic motifs and things yeah, like that right. and I never really heard that in punk rock music because punk rock is kind of like quick get it done and then you're like in and you're out yeah so then I was just thinking well what would be the opposite of that what if we like stayed with these ideas and then kind of you know had them come back polished punk of sorts kind of as yeah. much as I could do <laughs> yeah. in my bedroom like with a four track and yeah like that. yeah um, so then uh, you know while putting out that album I still always knew I have this like grand interest in electronic music I'm not exactly sure how to make electronic music, but I want to because I care about it so deeply. Mm-hmm. And then it took me many years, and then around the time of when Minotaur came out, really figuring out, okay, like now I know how to get computers working, how to get yeah. MIDI controllers right. working, how to uh, assemble beats, how to program beats and things like that on a computer, um, how to make like fake chip music and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. And then people would go to a show listen to the dance music and they would think like oh like oh yeah you do electronic music like oh but not yes and no um or if someone listens to widowmaker they would say oh this is drew he does like hardcore like punk music oh yeah but no yes no you're right yes i guess um and i felt like that was a problem because if someone got an album or came to a show they might be getting a thin slice of the grand picture Mm. but only i know the grand picture and then what am i going to do say like oh thanks for coming to the show can you come to six other shows right yeah exactly before you decide that you don't like my band right because i have like other things i have to tell you um and like that's a tall that's a tall order um and or someone i encountered these situations it was embarrassing but someone said like, oh, I want to get uh, this album. And like, oh, I want to get this album too. And I would say, you might not like it if you think it's a dance music because it's not dance music, mm-hmm. but buy it. But don't right. buy it if you don't like punk rock music. Yeah, yeah. Uh, please? Right, yeah. And I'm like, what am I doing? I just told a customer not to buy my CDs. Like, right. How is this professional music career going to work? Right. People, <laughs> yeah, because it's like, because... We are so like um, they think that what they saw is all this stuff. Right. They're so they don't. I mean, they sh- as they should. Right. right. They 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 have every right to think like this electronic musician just performed a show. There are three CDs for sale. I'm assuming they're all gonna be right. Electronic yeah. Music. And that's why you know we're so inclined to put artists into those categories. You know, is that like oh this is what I hold to be true like about this musician and what I hold true to myself is that I like electronic music. I don't normally like go for punk music, you right. know, and like it goes back to that cognitive dissonance, you know, it's because like, you know, we are like, cause that's why like, I don't really like, I don't really, I don't like genres, you know, I you hate, and me both. I hate you're, genres. You're, you're preaching to the exactly. literal choir. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like I hate, I hate genres because they classify Yeah. because it, it's whatever can be marketed to those people. If we, if we are talking about feelings, ideas and thoughts, 
why classify them at all? Right. right. Because those feelings, ideas, and thoughts are going to involve electronic music. They're going to involve acoustic ballads. They're going to involve punk music. They're going to involve hip-hop, which you do all four of those things. And uh, it's like, why can't they just be all expressed in different ways? Which then is the analogy of my life. Yeah. So I'm, uh, you know, as a young person being attracted to older adults, that was very confusing and impossible for a lot of people to understand. Like, why don't you date someone your own age? Why can't you date someone your own age? Why are you this way? Why are you that way? Uh, I'm too old for the young people. I'm too young for the old people. I'm too feminine for the guys. I'm too masculine for the girls. Right. I'm too this, that. I'm, I'm not dark-skinned enough. I'm too light-skinned. Right. I'm, uh, so... It's all binaried, you know? Yep, you, you said it. You right. Said it. That's you it. You said it. Um, that is it. And I'm just thinking that's not really reflective of, like, how I feel and, like, what my interests are and how I want to react and in, interact with the world that I'm living in. I don't see it that way. So, um, long time ago, someone asked me, why don't you make another uh, project name? And then that would be your electronic music. And then this one would be the punk rock music. And I kind of thought it would be convenient. It would be easier. But I am not afforded that in my life. Yeah. Because it would be great if I could just, you know, and I tried to. Right. Uh, which caused me severe depression. Yeah. I tried to hide all these things and like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like straight today. And now I'm going to interact with these people and I'm going to be straight. Like, now I'm going to hang out with my lady friends and I'll be, like, feminine now. But yeah. now I'm going to, I got to, like, be, I have to pretend that I'm, I don't know, like, white or something. Yeah, you know? right. Like, I got to, like, fit into whatever people are expecting. See, that's convenient for them, but it's not convenient for you. And I thought that it would be helpful for me to make it more convenient for them. Yeah. Uh, but story like, of our lives. Yeah, yeah. But then I realized like they weren't doing me any favors. Yeah, exactly. And and the whole while I felt like I was being disingenuous. Yeah. And then that that really hurt. Um, I I remember one experience. I just wanted to just share this quick story. I was at a cafeteria table in college, and uh, most of the um, students had left, and there was just this one table I was sitting at. They were staying really late. And this guy, these people, they start like telling kind of body jokes, and this guy leans in and goes, "Okay, I just want to make sure there's no gay people around." And then he proceeds to like just go on this tirade of like homophobic jokes. Wow. And I was just kind of like, that's interesting that he thought just by looking he could find the gay people, and then since there weren't any, tell the jokes. And then I'm also assuming, I'm inferring that if there was, he wouldn't have told the joke. And I'm like. I'm right here. Dude. Right. <laughs> it's like, um, dude, like the one person you like. It's like the you chose the wrong person in the room. Yeah. yeah. Like the literal, literally, like you told this joke to a gay person. Yeah. And, and even like I'll just never forget. He'd be like, check left, check right. Yeah. Right. There's no. Gay what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's kind of why orange drink is the way it is because that's 
the way I am. Oh yeah. So it's everything all at the same time, and I don't really have a lot of easy answers. Um, I don't know why I am the way I am. I don't know why I'm, you know, why I dated older adults and stuff. I don't know. I don't know why I'm Sri Lankan. Like, ask my parents about right. it. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> uh, where are you from? Like, oh, I'm from Franklin. Oh no, I mean originally. Oh, uh, I'm from Virginia. Oh, I mean, where are your parents from? Oh, they're from right. Like, I know what you're That's asking. That's a different question. I know what you're asking. Yeah. You're asking what's my ethnic origin, but until you say it, I'm not gonna. You're right. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, like. I mean, like, you know, and it's like every song is so different on this record, you know, like, um, all these things in time is totally different from That's Fine. Mm -hmm. Both of those songs are totally different than the, uh, the Leave Me Alone song. Mm -hmm. Help Me Leave Me Alone. Help Me Leave Me Alone. Yeah, exactly. But... When I saw you, you played all three of those songs in your set, mm -hmm. you know, like, this is no, you know, like, when you're getting, when you're at an Orange Drink show, you're getting every different idea, thought, or feeling, you know, as you wanted to express it, and not what makes sense for other people that you would express it, because this is what people expect when they go to a punk show or an electronic show or a hip-hop show like right. everything you do is you know it's just track by track it's like it's what you wanted to express and i mean like not enough artists do that you know like there's some artists i know of in the city that are pretty good about that like uh cola is a really good example of that i can't even it's hard to even think about like <laughs> it's hard to even think about other artists that like are so like you know in their own lane but but like yeah i i think that we're gonna start seeing more artists like just in general like as as you know music technology as music um presentation as music as fusion has yeah, been so yeah, has, yeah. has dominated so much of like what we perceive as like good original music these days like i think we're gonna start seeing a lot more artists like you I, that's the hope. I hope we do. I hope. Yes. Um, <laughs> so that, that begs the question, what is Orange Drink up to now? Um, right now, I feel like I'm in the grind period yeah. where I'm just trying to play as many shows as I can, realizing that um, the biggest selling point for Orange Drink is to get in front of an audience. Mm. Uh, <laughs> a friend in high school... Uh, would call me uh, a car accident because even if you didn't want to get involved, you couldn't help but like look. Yeah, yeah. and I was like, oh yeah, I am kind of like a car accident. Yeah. Like, <laughs> people want to like hang out with me or whatever, but the people who don't want to hang out with me, I'm still causing enough of a scene. They're just right. like, who's that guy? Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> why is he like standing on the table? Like whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so why is he go doing? Why is he headbanging? <laughs> um, <laughs> Just sidebar, I uh, played a show long, long time ago, and there uh, it was at a bar where people were watching a sporting event on these TVs, and there were only a very few number of friends that had come to see me perform. So I was kind of one of the early days where I started setting these little goals. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to get at least three of those people to stop watching the game. Yeah, right. And that's, hey, hey! <laughs> <laughs> that's what you did at Puddle's Hall, though. That's exactly yeah. what you did. Right. Like, you... 
And it's what you did at Company Brewing. Too. Sure, I sure. noticed it. Yeah, dude, I noticed at Company Brewing. Like, I, I I work there, so I can tell when people are there to drink and just there to hang out at the bar yeah. versus who's there to see the music. Yeah, you know, initially, like, yeah, people are, like that are there that are part of the show or they're there to see the show. Like, yeah, they're watching the music. But I saw the bartenders. I saw the people yeah. at the bar. <laughs> at some point, they had to turn around yeah, and they're like, like what? Orange drink. What is this? What is going on over there? Yeah. You know, and uh, and at that point, like, I mean, my best friend, like, he came, he came to the show. He didn't stay for the whole time, but like, he saw your set. You know, he he um, you know he was just there because it was me. You know, he he was there because like I was hosting the show. But that's but, a good friend, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Shout out to Brock Doll. <laughs> but and you know Salem was there as well. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Salem. Homies. Yes. Uh, they're you know they're always there to support me as well, but you know, but then like as you were going on like you know Brock like went he like came up he's like, dude he's really good, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then like by the end of the, your set the dance party like we went into the crowd and just started dancing and having yeah that, a great was, that time. was so fun that, that was, was great really fun man. but it's like. Yeah, your that analogy that you used is such a great way. Like that's a, you know, it's it's an analogy that doesn't sound good at first, but once you explain it, it is so accurate. I love analogies. I probably did six uh, this interview. And yeah. figurative language yep. is is a, is a it's an art form. Well, thank you. You're uh, you're welcome. It's my uh, philosophy background. I just really love <laughs> analogies because it's a great way to. Um, not um, meddle with the complicated nature of an abstract idea and then maybe get one that you're already familiar with so you don't have to try to understand this because you already know it. Right, you don't try, you have to try too hard. Yeah. So I, I, I do that all the time and uh, I just, it's part of, it's, it's actual lateral thinking. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to understand the ins and outs of this issue. Mm-hmm. We're just going to go to the side of it. Yeah. And I say, like, you already know this issue, and I'm going to use pieces that you already understand to put them together. Then that's right. Uh, and that's kind of what Orange Drink is that I take pieces of existing ideas and things that you already understand. You, you understand hip hop, you understand electronic music, you understand punk rock, you understand acoustic. Uh, folk music. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to take these. Um, um, don't worry about what I'm doing, but I'm telling you, you already know these things, and then we're going to put those things in this new earth. Yeah. So I guess my work itself is sonically an analogy yeah. to other types of music. Wow, you just taught me something about myself. Hell we yeah. did it, and we, it was on camera. Yes. <laughs> what up? Oh, what, what up? up? What up? You didn't see that coming. Um, all right. Reset. All right. Orange drink. Um, What's up? My friend Drew. Um, We're chilling. We, we are chilling. We also didn't even talk about Hemlock Records. Oh, my God. Shout out to Hemlock Records. HemlockRecords.com. Check it out. Um, is it based here? What? Hemlock oh, Records. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Is that you? That's me. Yeah. You, yeah. Do, you run it? Yeah, yeah. Me oh. and my husband. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I see. That, that makes sense. Well... Yep, Hemlock Records. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Drew, aka Orange Drink, this was fantastic to talk about. Thanks, Ben. You're, you're awesome. You're also, awesome. Shout outs to Mr. Nice Guy for like seriously documenting and being the pillar in the Milwaukee music scene. Man, 
Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. We we have to do it. There's a lot of people to talk to, yeah. a lot of shows to see. As I have found out at open mics, like everyone is a killer in this mm. in this town. Which Absolutely, is great. Great. go see it all. It's yeah. it's literally right down the street from you. So uh, as we close out, Orange Drink, what keeps you up at night? Wow, um, what keeps me up at night? Um, all the art ideas that I have yet to do. All right. Yeah. The, the grind mode. Yeah, the grind mode. Said. Yeah, yeah. Just the next show, the next album, the next thing I'm going to do. Uh, I've got music video ideas that are oh, yeah. running in my head. Yeah. What puts you to sleep? What puts me to sleep? Um, wait, like restful or like boredom? Uh, restful. 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 What puts me to sleep? Oh. Uh, I've been working on meditating in 2020. Oh, And true. this idea of just mentally stepping out of the stream of constant thoughts, that puts me to sleep. Oh, that's good. To, yeah. to know that um, the like racing thoughts or like feelings, yeah. uh, I have an option to not get caught up in them. Yeah. And then just watch them pass by and like, I'm going to take a nap while these like worries and thoughts are just <laughs> right. like, oh, how am I going to earn money? Well... All gonna, these gonna... things in time <laughs> are fading away. Exi- <laughs> wow. That, that was good, good wasn't wow. it? I can't believe we just did Oh, buddy. Uh, thanks so much. This is amazing. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Go listen to This is Orange Drink. Bye. Thanks for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time.